I'd like to uh, invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Today we're going to be discussing uh, the subject of persecution. Over time, believers have taken a wide variety of approaches and uh, perspectives on persecution. Some have pretended that it simply does not exist. They felt like, well, I'm working for the Lord, and so uh, nothing's going to bother me in any way. I, I'm, you know, I, God said uh, he wants me to do good. I'm doing good, so I don't even have to worry about persecution. And they ignore the very possibilities. Others see it as a, as a, a potential, and they say, well, hey, I'm going to be big enough and tough enough so I can stand up to and face persecution. Others uh, cringe in fear and perhaps even compromise their faith so that um, they can avoid all persecution. Some even develop a martyr complex. Oh, this world... It's going to persecute me. It's going to harm me. And, and every slight, every problem in their life, they constantly see uh, as a proof of the ongoing terrible persecution they are facing. And, and some groups of Christians, in fact, seem to almost invite persecution. They try to be as strange and as weird and as different. And, and that might mean they dress like they're in the 1950s or the 1850s or wherever. And, and, and then when people think they're weird, oh, that's proof that I'm being persecuted for my faith. What is a correct perspective for a Christian on persecution? That's what I want us to think about today. I want us to, to answer some questions about persecution and we see these uh, from the Apostle Peter, Peter, 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Uh, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives to ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's pray. God, we come to you and, Lord, we pray that from your word, Father, that you would guide us as we have to face what comes along in life. Help us to understand, to have your perspective, what you want us to know, how you want us to view any potential persecution that we may face as believers. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. Will Christians suffer for doing the right thing? And the answer is yes, but there's always a silver lining. Peter begins by asking a very general rhetorical question. He says, 
Who's going to harm you if you're eager for doing good? In other words, in general, in life, if you're out there loving people, serving the community, blessing people, doing good things, I mean, that's stuff that most people, whether they're believers or not, whether they're Christians or not, are going to say, yeah, that's a good thing. We want him. We want that kind of citizen. We want her living like that. You know, people are generally, uh, if there are no evil motives, in general, living for the Lord and doing those right things, well, you know, people are going to like that. Uh, governors and, and, and presidents and and. Leaders, they want a society full of good people who obey the law and do good to one another. So P- Peter's general principle is, look, most of the time, doing good is not going to be punished. Most of the time. But he acknowledges that, yes, there is a time in which uh, doing good can bring you harm. But I believe he, he begins with that statement because... When there is persecution or even a threat of persecution, we can get that martyr complex all of a sudden. And Peter's wanting to make sure, and by the way, Peter was around to see when the first Christian was martyred, and he would be martyred himself. So he's, he's not saying there is no persecution. He knows there's real persecution, but he knows there's this very real temptation for, for us to kind of get carried away in our minds about Christian persecution. And we don't want to become those people who are like so touchy that, oh, you're persecuting Christians anytime something doesn't go our way. But he does say this in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. No doubt he is thinking back to Jesus as he gave um, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that beginning, those Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are they who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, yes, occasionally, sometimes, in some societies, in some situation, you will be persecuted for doing wrong. But even then, you can always keep in mind the fact that, hey, if you're persecuted, God says you're going to be blessed by even more. He, God tells us over and over that, hey, I'm, I'm going to make up for what you go through. When you suffer things in my name, I don't ignore that. I don't forget about that. I, I don't let that just be wasted. When you suffer in my name, you will be blessed for that. Now, some of those blessings, again, we have to keep the eternal mindset. Some of those blessings come in this life and some come in the next. It's not like, oh, you get persecuted. Next week, you're going to get a check in the mail. This is not that kind of thing. God is wanting us to understand, though, that that he truly does work all things together for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean all things are good. Being persecuted is not good. But God says, I'm good, and I'm going to bring good out of what happens to you if you suffer uh, for my name. So do Christians suffer for doing the right things? Not usually. But sometimes, yes, but even when they do suffer, there's that silver lining that God says, hey, you're going to be blessed if you've suffered for righteousness, if you've suffered for uh, following my name. Second question, is fear an appropriate response to the threat of persecution? Fear is kind of a natural response when we see harm, you know, just humanly speaking, when we see something harmful coming our way. So should we fear Uh, the threat of persecution. 
The answer is not fear of man, but rather fear of God. Let's dive into what he says here in the second half of verse 14 and verse 15. He says, Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but on the other hand, in your heart revere Christ as Lord. What Peter here is just bringing up to date, the, the age-old concept of in life we're going to choose to fear something. We're going to fear man or we're going to fear God. And this concept is all throughout the Bible. The fear of man says that everything we do, we do worried about what people are going to think and say and do of us. And it's all about society. It's all about our culture and our peers and the pressure they put upon us. And, you know, what might they do? What might they say? What might they think? And if we give in to that way of thinking and that way of behaving, then we become what the, world, what the Bible says conform to this world. But we are told that we're not to be conformed, but to, rather to be transformed. We are to be changed into the image of Christ that he has implanted within us as we have become believers. And so rather than fearing man and what mankind may do to us, we are to fear God. Many, many times in Scripture, uh, it tells us about that. Proverbs 9.10 is just one of those. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Again, this type of fear, this is understanding, having a healthy respect for God. We can boil down and maybe understand this concept a little bit better if we think about human fathers. On the one hand, we, don't, we, we know it's not good for fathers to be such boiling, raging tyrants that everyone's afraid to say anything around them. On the other hand, nobody wants a dad who's a complete pushover, who, who never instills any right and wrong. Somewhere in the middle, a good human father is loving and kind, and yet there is a certain respect for that father. And this idea is that we are to have a healthy respect. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus said, what's the worst they can do to you? They can kill you. Guess what? You're going to die anyway at that point. You know, life is short. They can kill you. They have nothing on your eternity. If you're going to fear and respect and have a, be influenced by someone because of what they can do, don't let it be somebody who can just do something to you in this little bit of lifetime we have here on earth. You should fear, respect, and reverence and honor the one who has both life on earth and eternity. The one who can affect both body and soul forever. And so the idea, when we ask the question of, is fear an appropriate response for persecution? Well, yes and no. Not fear of man, not fear of what they can do, but a proper fear, a proper respect of God and his place in our life. And so that's why Peter says, set aside Christ as Lord in your heart. 
You see, what happens when we give into the fear of man, what we've done is we've, we've put mankind or society or a particular person that we're trying to get their approval, you know, or their acceptance, we've put them as the Lord of our hearts. But Peter is saying, uh-uh, Jesus is Lord. And in your heart, you need to set him apart. You need to make that clear that Jesus is Lord of my life. And so while I may hate to let other people down, it may bother me to disappoint others. Ultimately, those are secondary concerns. And my primary concern is what Jesus thinks about me. And that's far more important than any persecution I may face from someone else who disagrees with what Jesus tells me to do. Third question, is it appropriate for Christians to defend their faith? We look further into the second half of verse 15 and 16 for the answer to this question. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you to who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Is it appropriate for Christians to defend their faith? Yes, but only in a Christ-like manner. And that means we don't fight fire with fire, so to speak. We don't get down in the mud with unbelievers who may try to slander us and and hurt us and do evil things against us. We don't just do that tit for tat and try to come back at them and hurt them just like they hurt us. God says, no, that's, that's not the way that we're to behave. Rather, we ought to always be ready and be prepared to answer when someone demands an answer for the hope that is within us. And that given answer, it's, it's a term that can be used in a legal term, like a court defense. Like, are you literally ready? Are you prepared that if you are put on trial, if you are put on the stand, that you can say, this is why I behave the way I do. This is why I display this hope. It actually brings a, a further question. Is your life actually any different from others around you in society, from unbelievers, that would make anyone even question that? Would anyone ever say, hey, what is it about you that makes you different? <laughs> or would they never even think to ask you that because they never saw a difference? Ouch. That, that can be a painful question to think about. But if we're living as God has called us to live, there ought to be something different that should make people stand up and say, hey, there's something different. I want to know what it is. And Peter tells us, be ready. So listen, he didn't say that you have to grab people and shake them and hold them down and say, I'm going to tell you all about my faith. But he does say, hey, be ready. That when you live a life that is for Jesus and therefore so different than the way the rest of the world is living, there are inevitably going to be questions and you need to be ready to answer those questions. You need to be ready to defend your faith in Jesus Christ. But he goes on and he says, now be careful how you defend your faith though. He said, make sure that you keep a good conscience. Why is this? You know, if you sow, um, you know, you win the argument, but you do so in which a way, in a way that you undo your Christian influence, you've really lost. 
It doesn't matter that your logic or your reason or your points are better than their points. If you've answered them in an unchrist-like manner, you've really lost. Years ago, Billy Graham on national uh, television uh, in the UK, he, he debated a, a very famous atheist. And the story went uh, that he lost the debate, but he won the hearts of England. And the idea was, perhaps intellectually, this man had all sorts of logic and, and, and all sorts of things and debating skills that Billy Graham might not have had. And Billy Graham maybe couldn't compete with that level on this high intellectual level. But what he could do was give a loving, caring response. And the average person who watched that debate said, huh, yeah. Maybe this guy had kind of won the debate, so to speak, but, but he was so arrogant, and I see something different, a kindness and a love in Billy Graham, and we forget that. I've come across many Christians in person and also online who are so concerned about being right that they're not right because they're not right with God. They are trying to win the war with Satan's weapons. And that is inevitably losing. We do not get in the mud. We do not fight as Satan's minions would fight. Listen to this again. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may stand ashamed of their behavior. In other words... Sooner or later, the truth will out. It might be this life. It may not be until Judgment Day. But eventually, the truth will come out. One day, everything's going to be revealed. And Peter says, on that day when the truth is revealed, those who have slandered you falsely and accused you falsely, and they've cut you down, they will stand ashamed when they realize that really the, the truth of your life, that it, it speaks for itself. Peter says, but that doesn't work if you've got down in the mud. That doesn't work if you have gotten so, I'm going to show you how good Christians are and how bad you are, and I'm going to cut you down and knock you down, and I'm going to win. That's not a Christ-like attitude. And if that's the attitude that you as a believer take, then you will be the one that will stand ashamed on that day when all is revealed. When all the pretenses are taken out and we just stand in the light of God's truth, if we behave in that way, we'll be ashamed. So are we ready to defend ourselves? Yes, but only in a Christ-like way. Only in a way that is full of gentleness and respect. We may disagree with those who are not believers, but we always treat them as who they are, and that is those who have been created by God. And because they have been created by God, they are worthy of the respect and the compassion and the consideration uh, that all of God's children, all of God's created should have. Fourth and final question. If we suffer for doing right, should we just do the wrong thing anyway? If we suffer for doing right, should we just do the wrong thing anyway? 
I know lots of people who've had this attitude. In fact, it's, it's made for the plot of some really great movies, you know, convicted for murder when the murder didn't really happen. But, hey, I can't be convicted twice for murder, so I'm going to get out and I'm going to go after somebody. And, you know, we've all seen TV and movie shows about this or, or folks like, hey, I've been treated like I'm bad. I might as well be bad anyway. But it sounds logical, but that's Satan's logic. That's not God's logic. That's not his reasoning. What he tells us here in verse 17, Peter says this, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, the ultimate example of that who is, is the one who is always our ultimate example, and that is Christ. Christ suffered for our sins. And we're not going to go past verse 17, but if you keep reading in verse 18 and beyond, that's basically Peter's big point is, guess what? When you're suffering, you're actually just identifying with Jesus. You're actually uh, doing good, and suffering for him is being just like Jesus because he suffered for doing good. And so rather than say, well, man, I should just, if I'm doing the crime, I mean, if I'm doing the time, I might as well do the crime. You know, instead of having that kind of mindset, he says, hey, if you're suffering, make it for something that counts. Make it for being like Jesus. Make it for doing right. And in that way, Paul puts it this way when he said, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Man, I've always loved the first part of that verse. You know, I want to know Jesus. Yes, I do. And I want to know, oh, the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I want to know that too. And then when it gets to that last, that fellowship of his sufferings, uh, that's a little tough, right? But Paul says, when we uh, suffer for our faith, it actually draws us closer to our Lord. It's not that our suffering is the salvation of mankind like his suffering. Okay, we want to get that thought out of the way. But when we suffer for what's doing right, doing what's godly, doing what's Christ-like, we identify with Christ and we draw closer to him. And again, God has said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. If you suffer for doing what's right, you'll be blessed. Don't try to figure out how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or just trust in me. I'm going to make it right. So how are we as believers to handle this whole persecution thing? Well, we need to remember what Jesus said. A servant is no better than his master. So if our master, Jesus, suffered for doing what's right, then it is inevitable that we as well will suffer at times from doing what's right. But rather than fearing those who would harm us and who would persecute us, Peter says in your heart, you make sure that you have set, that you have sanctified and you have set apart Jesus as Lord. That is, he's on the throne. He's the one that you're looking to please, not mankind, not the world, not the culture, not the community, not your peer group. But God is who you are trying to please. And so when you do that, you're not going to fear man if you have the proper fear of God in your heart. And you're going to be ready if you're focusing on Jesus as Lord, that when those inevitable questions, when people say, hey, 
what's so different about you? Why don't you behave? Why is your life different than other people? That you're going to have an answer. Not a, I told you so and I'm going to make you look bad answer. But an answer that is full of awe and wonder at the grace of God and what he has done in our lives and what he will do in the lives of others. And when we consider that question, when it passes our minds, is it really worth it to keep doing good when we're going to suffer? We remind ourselves, absolutely. Because when we suffer, if that's God's will, if he allows that to come into our lives, that is our opportunity to be more like Christ and to connect to our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, Lord, you love us so much. God, that you allow us to experience things in our lives that that we would not choose for ourselves. But Lord, you allow these things in our lives to shape us and mold us and to draw us closer to you. And Father, I pray that in our hearts that we would sanctify you as Lord, that we would sanctify Christ as Lord, and that, Father, we would have that respect, that reverence for you, Lord, that, that just recognizes that whatever comes, whether praise or persecution, it really doesn't matter because our goal is not about a result. Our goal is about being obedient and faithful to following you. Help us to have that clear-cut mentality and love for you that follows you and that responds to others, even to others who are giving us a hard time, that responds to them with grace, just as you've poured out grace on us. Lord, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.